Peace be upon you. So every day, people eat these delicious meals to grow and develop their bodies, to maintain health, to maintain vitality. But what are they feeding their souls in order to make sure that their souls are healthy? God has designated for us the meal for our souls through our salat, our contact prayer. But unlike a meal for our body, when we deprive our souls of meals, we don't see the ramifications up front. For instance, when we miss a meal, we feel the pangs of hunger. But when we don't feed our souls their designated meals, we don't realize the suffering we are putting our souls through, and it doesn't become apparent until the day of judgment. When we discard these worldly bodies that we have, in our real selves, our souls are all that is left. We will see that some souls on that day will be nourished and have grown tremendously, while other souls will be completely neglected, starving, and decrepit because they wasted this whole life they had not performing righteous deeds, not observing the Salat. In Surah 23, verse 99 through 103, it says, When death comes to one of them, he says, My Lord, send me back. I will then work righteousness in everything I left. Not true. This is a false claim that he makes. A barrier will separate his soul from this world until resurrection. When the horn is blown, no relations among them will exist on that day, nor will they care about one another. As for those whose weights are heavy, they will be the winners. Those whose weights are light are the ones who lost their souls. They will abide in hell forever. I interpret this understanding of someone whose weights are heavy as someone who has a heavy soul, someone who grew and developed their souls through righteous works, but someone who neglected this life and the treatment of their souls, of the real meals they needed through doing righteous works, through doing the Salat, their souls are going to be light. There's nothing that's going to keep them propped up. And when they come face to face with their creator, these souls that have not been nourished, who have not performed righteous deeds throughout their life, they are not going to withstand the presence of God and they're going to run away fleeing. The Salat is absolutely essential for our salvation in the hereafter. While an individual could live off snacks, they would not be very well nourished. And the Salat provides us with these essential meals to nourish and develop our souls. In Surah 75 verses 26 through 34 we read, Indeed, when the soul reaches the throat and its order let go, he knows that it is the end. Each leg will lay motionless next to the other leg. To your Lord on that day is the summoning. For he observed neither the charity nor the contact per salat. But he disbelieved and turned away. With his family he acted arrogantly. You deserve this. Indeed, you have deserved this. This essential fact that in order to be able to draw close to God, in order to grow and develop our souls, we must perform the salat. While again, some individuals, they might be able to survive and make it into the hereafter living off snacks the essential meal is this practice of doing our salat we see this reiterated in surah 107 verse 1 through 5 it reads do you know who really rejects the faith that is the one who mistreats the orphans and does not advocate the feeding of the poor and woe to those who observe the contact per salat who are totally heedless of their prayers God is telling us that it's important for our own salvation that even when we perform the Salat, we have to be reverent during this time to draw closer to God. 
God emphasizes in Surah 2 verse 3 immediately what is the trait of the righteous. It reads, who believe in the unseen, observe the contact per salat, and from our provisions to them they give to charity. You know, we give to charity for this world because we're taking away money and providing it to someone else to do good deeds. But the salat is something that we do wholeheartedly to worship God alone, to be able to perform this practice knowing that it's not going to benefit our bodies in the same way that it's going to benefit our souls. In Surah 245, it reads, You shall seek help through steadfastness and the contact per salat. This is difficult indeed, but not so for the reverent. This word for reverent is al-khashi'in, which also means humble. And the fact that during the salat, we take our head and we place it on the floor for our Creator, it shows humility. And if we can't learn humility in this life, then there's no hope for us in the hereafter. You hear some people say that they would never put their head on the ground for anybody. And someone who's not willing to worship the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, then how do they ever expect to be redeemed on the day of judgment? God willing, in this episode, I want to take a closer look at the Salat through the lens of the Quran to address where did the Salat come from? How do we know we're doing it correctly? And also go over some of these misconceptions around, for instance, the time of the Salat and how it's conducted and what it actually means. That being said, let's look at some of these core verses that inform us the importance of the Salat. In Surah 20, verse 114, it reads, I am God, there is no other God beside me. You shall worship me alone and observe the contact per Salat to remember me. This informs me that the purpose of the Salat, more so than anything else, is the remembrance of God. Obviously, there's many other factors and benefits, but God is specifically calling this aspect out. And we see a similar statement in Surah 29, verse 45, where it reads, You shall recite what is revealed to you of the scripture and observe the contact prayers salat. For the contact prayers prohibit evil and vice, but the remembrance of God through the salat is the most important objective. God knows everything you do. God is telling us that the remembrance of God is the most important part. And what's fascinating is the Arabic is Walla zikra Allahu Akbar, that surely the remembrance of God is the greatest. Some individuals they say that Allahu Akbar is not in the Quran, that we shouldn't say it during our salat, that it should be Allahu al Kabir. And this tells us that God is telling us in this verse for the contact prayers, prohibit evil and vice, but the remembrance of God is the most important objective Allahu Akbar. That this is showing us that this is part of the salat. So what exactly is the Salat? Consistently in the Quran, when we read about the Salat, it says you shall observe the Salat. This word observe in Arabic is yakamuna, which means to observe, to perform, but it also comes from the root to stand and to establish. That during the Salat, what we're doing is we're standing, we're establishing, and we're performing something. So what is this thing? What exactly is it that is being established? When we perform our Salat, we are establishing a direct contact with our Creator. The root of the word Salat, unlike what most people believe, that it comes from the root Salah, wow, actually comes from the root wow, saw, long, which means to join, to unite, to reach, to connect. And we see this in Surah 2 verse 27 and Surah 13 verse 25. 
It says the wicked who violate God's covenant after pledging to uphold it and sever what God has commanded to be joined, yusala, and commit evil, these are the losers. These individuals, what they're doing when they forget about the salat, the contact prayer, the time in their day where they remember God, it's showing that they're severing this connection that their soul needs with their Creator in order to thrive, in order to prohibit evil and vice, that they are disjoining this thing that was meant to be established, to be connected, to be united with its Creator. In 1325, we read, as for those who violate God's covenant after pledging to keep it, and again, sever what God has commanded to be joined and commit evil, they have incurred condemnation and have incurred the worst destiny. Salat is our way to make contact with our Creator. That is why it's translated as the contact prayer. This is fundamentally different than other forms of prayer. It's not simply just reciting Quran. It's not simply just remembering God. There's something that's direct, that's very deliberate, that's occurring during the Salat. And before we get into that, where did this practice come from? Well, the reality is all our religious practices of the Quran all came from Abraham. In Surah 16, verse 123, we read, Then we inspired you, in reference to Muhammad, to follow the religion of Abraham. The Arabic is Milat al-Ibrahim. The monotheist, he never was an idol worshiper. Milat al-Ibrahim means specifically the religion or the practices of Abraham. Muhammad delivered none of the practices of Islam. Every single one of these came from the practices of Abraham. We follow an Abrahamic religion. Muhammad came to deliver the final scripture of this Abrahamic religion. All the practices of Islam or an English submission came from Abraham, including the Salat, the Zakat, the fasting for the month of Ramadan, and the Hajj. And we see that it was Abraham who was the first prophet that God gave him the Salat as a gift. In Surah 14, verse 39, says, Praise be to God for granting me, despite my old age, Ishmael and Isaac. My Lord answers the prayers. My Lord, make me one who consistently observes the contact per Salat. And also my children, our Lord, please answer my prayers. While other individuals, they would have prayed for wealth, for status. What did Abraham pray for? He prayed for a way for him to make direct contact with his creator, to grow and develop his soul. And God provided him the Salat because of his righteousness. In Surah 21, verse 72 and 73, we read, And we granted him Isaac and Jacob as a gift, and we made them both righteous. We made them imams who guided in accordance with our commandments. And we taught them how to work righteousness and how to observe the, the contact prayers and the obligatory charity zakat. To us, they were devoted worshipers. Abraham is the only individual that we will read in the Quran where God specifically taught him how to observe the contact prayer salat. We will not see this for any other prophet where God had to teach them how to perform this practice. Similarly, you will not see for Noah or Adam that they ever performed the salat because it wasn't in existence. But if we look at the, the prophets and messengers that came after Abraham, we'll see numerous examples that they were commanded and they did perform the Salat and give the Zakat. For instance, 
Ishmael in 1954, it says, and mentioned in the scripture Ishmael, he was truthful when he made a promise. He was a messenger prophet. He used to enjoin his family to observe the contact per salat and the obligatory charity zakat. He was acceptable to his Lord. In Surah 10, verse 87, we see that Moses, Aaron, and the children of Israel all performed the salat. It reads, We inspired Moses and his brother, maintain your homes in Egypt for the time being, turn your homes into synagogues, and maintain the contacts per salat, give good news to the believers. So here we see that Ishmael performed the uh, salat. We see that Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel performed salat. In Surah 283 and 512, we read more about the children of Israel. It says, We made a covenant with the children of Israel. You shall not worship except God. You shall honor your parents and regard the relatives, the orphans, and the poor. You shall treat the people amicably. You shall observe the contact per salat and give the obligatory charity zakat. But you turned away except a few of you. You became averse. So again, God is addressing the children of Israel that it was a commandment upon them to observe the Salat. In Surah 5 verse 12 it reads, God had taken a covenant from the children of Israel and we raised among them 12 patriarchs. And God said, I am with you so long as you observe the contact per Salat. So repeatedly we're seeing that this was a commandment that came after Abraham. All the prophets and messengers that followed Milata Ibrahim were obligated to perform the Salat. We see the same example with Jesus. When Jesus was speaking from within the crib, it reads in Surah 19 verse 31, He made me blessed wherever I go and enjoined me to observe the contact per Salat and the obligatory charity Zakat for as long as I live. So Jesus, Moses, the children of Israel, Ishmael, they're all mentioned that they performed the Salat, this deliberate practice. So when God told Muhammad to follow Milata Ibrahim, the religion of Abraham, the practices of Abraham, it was already established that he was to perform the Salat. And we see that even the idol worshippers who were owned the territory where the sacred masjid was located, they performed the Salat. In Surah 88 verse 33 through 35, we read, However, God is not to punish them while you are in their midst. It's in reference to Muhammad. God is not to punish them while they are seeking forgiveness. Have they not deserved God's retribution by repelling others from the sacred masjid, even though they are not the custodians thereof? The true custodians thereof are the righteous, but most of them do not know. And here is the central part in 835. says, Their contact per salat at the shrine were no more than a mockery and a means of repelling the people by crowding them out. Therefore, suffered a retribution for your disbelief. These individuals, they were performing the Salat. There is an expression, it says, whistling and clapping in Arabic. This is what they would do to repel people from performing the Salat. And you see this today in Arab cultures. If they want to disband the group, they will whistle and clap. And this is what was practiced back then. And this goes to show that even the idol worshippers were performing the Salat at the Kaaba at the time of Muhammad. This is reinforced in Surah 9, verse 54. It says, What prevented the acceptance of their spending is they disbelieved in God and His Messenger. And when they observed the contact per Salat, they observed them lazily. And when they gave to charity, they did so grudgingly. These individuals were following this religious practice, but they corrupted it. Therefore, this practice of performing the Salat was already established, was already known since the day of Abraham when God taught him deliberately how to perform this practice that even the idol worshippers were conducting this act. 
And this proves that the Salat is something that is very clearly predates Muhammad and even the Quran, that it's been around for thousands and thousands of years. So anyone who makes the claim that, oh, Muhammad was taught how to do the Salat, this holds no foundation in the Quran. Muhammad only performed what was already known to him. And this is one of the biggest arguments that people try to make in um, defense of Hadith. They say, how are you supposed to do your uh, Salat? How are we supposed to know about this? The irony is there is no Hadith that explains how to do the Salat. It does not exist. And the reason, again, is because this practice was already in existence. God didn't have to explain how to perform the Salat for something that was already known. The Quran deals with matters that are disputed, matters that are not known to us that God clarifies this for us. So the fact that this was already established, God did not need to explain what this is. Here's an example. If I told you, hey, go to the store and pick up a watermelon. Since I already know you know what a watermelon is, I don't need to explain to you what a watermelon is. Simply giving you that instruction is enough for you to be able to carry out that act. When God gives us a commandment to observe the Salat, we look around and say, what is the Salat? And because it's already in existence, we know exactly what we're supposed to do. Here's another example. You guys remember that amazing 1990s dance sensation, the Macarena? If you were in a dance class and the instructor told you, hey, we're going to perform the Macarena, you don't have to ask them, what is the Macarena? Because you're already familiar with this dance routine. And the Salat is no different. This is already something that's in practice. Therefore, God deliberately did not include this in the Quran. And anyone who tells you that you have to follow Hadith in order to know how to do the Salat is a complete fabricator because there is no Hadith that explains how to do the Salat. God informs us in the Quran in Surah 6 verse 114 through 116. It reads, Shall I seek other than God as a source of law? When he has revealed to you this book, fully detailed, those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord truthfully. You shall not harbor any doubt. The word of your Lord is complete in truth and justice. Nothing shall abrogate his words. He is the hearer, the omniscient. And it says, if you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture, they only guess. In Surah 39, verse 27, it reads, We have cited for the people every kind of example in this Quran that they may take heed. In 1854, it reads, We have cited in this Quran every kind of example, but the human being is the most argumentative creature. People are not content with the Quran alone. Therefore, they go after other sources in order to be able to find guidance. And the second they do this, it shows that they do not believe in God's word, that the Quran is complete. It's fully detailed as examples of everything we need. In Surah 39, verse 23, God tells us that God has revealed herein the best hadith, a book that is consistent and points out both ways. In Surah 45, verse 6, it says, These are God's revelations we recite to you truthfully, in which hadith, other than God and His revelations, do they believe. In Surah 77, verse 50, it says, Which hadith, other than this, do they uphold? God is telling us the only hadith that we are to uphold is that of the Quran. If we go and follow some other hadith, some other narration attributed to the Prophet, it shows again that we are not following 
God and we're not even following his messenger because we can guarantee that Muhammad followed the Quran to the T. To think that he deviated one iota from what's in the Quran is completely ludicrous. God tells us that had he done that, we would have doubled the retribution to him and no one could have helped him. He was to follow the Quran exactly as it was specified. Now, if someone says that, look, if the Quran specified how to do the Salat, that they would follow it wholeheartedly, that they wouldn't change one iota from it. So the question is, how do they perform their ablution, their wudu? God tells us in the Quran that before we observe the contact per Salat, that we are supposed to perform ablution. And God tells us exactly how to perform the ablution. In Surah 5 verse 6, it says, O you who believe, when you observe the contact per Salat, you shall 1. Wash your faces, 2. Wash your arms to the elbows, 3. Wipe your heads, and 4. Wash your feet to the ankles. Now, if someone is going to come and say, no, there's additional steps, there's seven other steps that you have to follow, it shows that they don't believe in this Quran. To claim that Prophet Muhammad added additional steps to what God put in the Quran is a complete fabrication. So why isn't it mentioned in the Quran how to perform our Salat? Again, the reason is because it's already in existence. So how do we know how to perform the Salat? No different than how we perform the ablution. We see that this practice, the Salat is already in existence. But what did people do? They added additional steps to the ablution. And they did the exact same thing to the Salat. They added additional Salats. They have numerous Salats that they perform beyond the five mentioned in the Quran. In addition, they added additional surahs and verses and sayings and fabrications into the Salat that never belonged there. But the core of the Salat has always been there since the time of Abraham. So God willing, let's go through and see what was added to the Salat. And it becomes so blatantly obvious when we filter today's Salat done by the majority of the Muslims against what's said in the Quran, that we can take out all the impurities that have been added into it. The most blatant thing that's been added to the Salat is the alteration of the Shahada. God tells us that the Shahada in the Quran 19 times is Ashadu an la la lillallah. That's it. Individuals have added Muhammad's name to the Shahada against Muhammad's will and against the words of God in the Quran. In Surah 6 verse 161 it says, Say, my Lord has guided me in the straight path, the perfect religion of Abraham, monotheism. He never was an idol worshiper. Say, my contact per salat, my worship practices, my life, my death are all devoted absolutely to God alone, Lord of the universe. Here God is telling us exactly the words that came out of Muhammad's mouth, that his contact per salat, his worship practices, his life and death are all devoted absolutely to God alone. Now if he was to follow the religion of Abraham, who lived thousands of years before him, do you think that Abraham mentioned Muhammad's name in his salat? Do you think Ishmael mentioned Muhammad's name in his Salat, Moses, Aaron, the children of Israel? It's impossible. But now think, do you think he mentioned his own name in his Salat? The hubris to include himself, even as a slave to God, is a gross injustice. God says we must be content with God alone. In Surah 4 verse 36 says, You shall worship God alone. Do not associate anything with Him. 
if we are not content with God alone and we feel compelled to associate a human being, a servant of God next to God, it shows our disbelief in God and his message and his messenger. In Surah 39, verse 45, it reads, When God alone is mentioned, the hearts of those who do not believe in the hereafter shrink with aversion. But when others are mentioned beside him, they become satisfied. Ask yourself, are you satisfied only when God's servant is mentioned next to God's name? Or are you fully content and happy mentioning God alone? Our salat has to be 100% dedicated to God alone. The words that come out of our mouth have to be 100% glorifying of God. To mention any other human being in our salat is a complete gross blasphemy. In Surah 72 verse 18, it says, The places of worship belong to God. Do not call on anyone else beside God. To walk into a masjid and see the names of anyone else other than God on the walls to be commemorated, to be included into the adhan is a gross blasphemy. This entire practice should be dedicated to God alone. These human servants had nothing to do with the creation of the universe, have nothing to do with our salvation. They were merely a vessel that God blessed into our lives in order to disseminate information for us. But then we have the tendency of elevating them beyond their human status. So the first thing that we can do is eliminate the mention of anyone else other than God in our Salat. The second thing that's been added to the Salat is that they add additional surahs beyond the Fatiha. When Adam slipped by approaching the tree in paradise, he was sent to earth and he was given specific words for him to be redeemed. In Surah 2 verse 37 it says, Adam received from his Lord's words whereby God redeemed him he is the Redeemer most merciful. Similarly, God has given us specific words through the Fatiha, the first surah of the Quran, in order to establish daily contact with Him in order to be redeemed. The only surah in the entire Quran that is a prayer from us to God is the Fatiha. If you read any other surah, basically you're contradicting this very clear narrative. For instance, if we read Ikhlas or Nas, it says, Say, I seek refuge in the Lord of the people. Does it make sense that when we're communicating with God, we're telling God to say, Qul, or look at Surah 109. Does this make sense that during our Salat, our connection with God, we're saying, Say, O oh, you disbelievers, I do not worship what you worship, nor do you worship what I worship. Now, obviously, you say it in Arabic, but you get the point that this is completely, it's a farce. It's not correct. The only surah in the entire Quran that is a prayer 100% from us to God is that of the Fatiha. It reads, In the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, praise be to God, Lord of the universe, most gracious, most merciful, master of the day of judgment. You alone we worship. You alone we ask for help. Guide us in the right path, the path of those whom you've blessed, not of those who have deserved wrath, nor of the strayers. This surah, it's 100% a message that we say to our Creator as we implore Him five times a day, 17 times we're saying the Fatiha. This is the only surah that is 100% from us to God. It doesn't mention any other entity. It doesn't mention Muhammad, Jesus, Moses, anyone aside from God alone. Even when we say the Fatiha in Arabic, our lips touch 19 times. 
as if we're dialing a number to our Creator to establish a connection with Him. You know, for some reason, many Muslims, they don't say Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim when they read the Fatiha during their Salat. And the question is why? How did this happen? How did you take this essential part of the prayer and you uh, omitted it? You know, they say they say it silently, but if you listen, even in uh, Mecca, at Hajj, when they perform the Salat, there is not enough time for them to say Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Immediately, they go to Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. They altered this beautiful prayer that God has given us to make connection with Him by omitting the very essential part of Bismillah. Then what did they do? They added this thing that doesn't even have Arabic roots, doesn't even have Aramaic roots. Amin. Where did this come from? Why do we add this? This is not part of the Salat. It should be omitted. So, so far, what do we have? We know that the Salat should only mention God's name, that we should only recite the Fatiha, that omitting the Bismillah from the Fatiha is a complete fabrication, and adding Amin has no baseline whatsoever in the religion, that this is something that was added later. So what else is there? You see that traditional Muslims, they're uh, pending on which Salat they're doing. They have different tones, where some, some of the Salat they will do loudly, some they will do quietly, and this does again, it contradicts the verse in the Quran in 17.110. It says, say, call him God or call him the most gracious. Whichever name you use to him belongs the best names. You shall not utter your contact per salat too loudly nor secretly. Use a moderate tone. God is telling us exactly the tone we need to use when we perform our salat. And that's pretty much it. You know, we say, we already went through that in 2945, it mentions Allahu Akbar. We saw that the Fatiha is the only prayer, the only surah in the entire Quran that is a direct prayer from us to God without the word Qul to start with. That we only mention God's name in our Salat. That we do not include the names of Muhammad or any other God's messengers or any human beings in our Salat. And that the tone we say it in is that of a moderate tone. And just by omitting, taking out these fabrications that were added on later, we have the pristine Salat. Now, I want to get into some of these other arguments. You know, some people, they say Salat is figurative. It's not, you just get around and you meditate and you think about God. But again, this isn't accurate. And the verses they use to, to uh, justify this is, for instance, 2441. It says, do you not realize that everyone in the heavens and the earth glorifies God? Even the birds, as they fly in a column, each knows its prayer. And this word is salatahu, and its glorification. God is fully aware of everything they do. They say, look, the birds perform salat. They're not doing this ritualistic practice. They're not taking their heads and putting it on the floor. Where are you getting this from? And the answer to this is in Surah 17, verse 44. This is glorifying Him are the seven universes, the earth, and everyone in them. There is nothing that does not glorify Him, but you do not understand their glorification. He is clement forgiver. Trying to understand how do the birds perform Salat is something that God is telling us we're incapable of understanding. And we have to take God at His word. If we think that because we're not satisfied with how is it that the birds do Salat, how could this relate to what it is that we're commanded to do, then it shows again that we just lack confidence in the words of God. God distinguishes the Salat from other forms of righteous works, be it meditation, be it Quran recitation. And we saw this in 2945, says, you shall recite what is revealed to you of the scripture 
and observe the contact purse a lot. So God is distinguishing between simply reciting the Quran and observing the contact prayers. And again, we know for a fact that the Salat predates the Quran. So to think that individuals, they were reciting the Quran when they were performing the Salat, it historically, it logically and historically doesn't make sense. But we also have Surah 73 verse 20. This is the second longest verse in the entire Quran. It reads, your Lord knows that you meditate. And this word is taqum, which means to stand. It's the same root used to observe, which is yaqimun. And it says, during two-thirds of the night or half of it or one-third of it. And so do some of those who believe with you. God has designed the night and the day and he knows that you cannot always do this. He has pardoned you. Instead, you shall read what you can of the Quran. So God is putting a distinction about standing and meditating versus reading the Quran. And there's one more. It says, he knows that some of you may be ill, others may be traveling in pursuit of God's provisions, and others may be striving in the cause of God. And it says, you shall read what you can of it and observe the contact person a lot. Give the obligatory charity zakat and lend God a loan of righteousness. So in this verse, God is distinguishing the various ways that we can worship him. It's saying that you can stand and meditate during two-thirds of the night, that you can recite the Quran, you can read the Quran, and you can observe the contact prayer salat, give the obligatory charity zakat, and lend God a loan of righteousness. That each one of these are righteous works, and God is distinguishing. But the salat is specifically a ritual prayer. It's to be done at specific times. There's a specific format. There's bowing, there's prostrating, there's standing, that there's a specific routine that's done in order to perform the Salat. In Surah 23 verse 2 it says, who are reverent during the contact prayer Salat. Meaning that this is something, it's a time that we're putting aside to be reverent. In 558 it says, when you call to the contact prayer Salat, they mock and ridicule it. This is because they are people who do not understand. It's informing us that this is something that people are called to, to perform. That it's not something that you just necessarily do in isolation. That this is something that's meant to be communal if other people are around. In Surah 4 verse 142 it reads, The hypocrites think they are deceiving God, but He is the one who leads them on. When they get up for the contact per salat, they get up lazily. That is because they only show off in front of the people and rarely do they think of God. It shows that the salat is something that we get up for, that we stand for, that we establish, that we make connection with our Creator. And one of the verses that explains to us that this is a ritualistic practice, that this is not just merely thinking and meditating about God, is Surah 4 verse 101 through 103. It reads, when you travel during war, you commit no error by shortening your contact prayer salat. So God here is telling us that the contact prayer has a specific length and we're allowed to shorten it if we're traveling during war. In 4.102 it continues, when you are with them and lead the contact per salat for them. Let some of you stand guard. So God is telling us that an individual will lead the contact per salat. That this is not done, again, if you're doing it in a community, if each person just thought about God and meditated or did their own thing, it doesn't show that there's a communal aspect to the salat. And it continues, then let the other group that has not prayed take their turn praying with you. Meaning that again, it's a prayer that's being conducted. It's not simply just reciting the Quran or thinking about God or meditating, that there is a ritualistic practice. In Surah 4 verse 103 it continues, Once you complete your contact per salat, you shall remember God while standing, sitting, or lying down. Once the war is over, you shall observe the contact per salat. The contact per salat are decreed for the believers at specific times.
So God is telling us again that the Salat, it's a ritualistic practice. There's a distinct length for it. That if it's done in a group that we are supposed to follow a particular format where one person leads, that people call to the Salat. And then it's specifically done at specific times. So this is the other big controversy that people have. Many people say that the Salat is only three times and not five. And I want to go through the verses of the Quran to show why there's five specific times for the Salat. Before we get into that, it's worth understanding what is the definition of night and day. Night, layl in Arabic, according to the Quran, is from sunset to sunrise, while day, al-nahr, is the, from sunrise to sunset. And this is a very simple explanation. If the sun is up, then it's day. If the sun is not up, then it's night. So knowing that piece of information, let's look at the verses. Two of the five Salat are mentioned by name. They're mentioned in Surah 24, verse 58. It says, O you who believe, permission must be requested by your servants and your children who have not attained puberty before entering your rooms. This is to be done in three instances. Before the dawn prayer, Fajr, at noon when you change your clothes to rest, and after the night, Isha, evening prayer. These are three private times for you. At other times, it's not wrong for you or for them to mingle with one another. God thus clarifies the revelations for you. God is omniscient, most wise. So we see two of the prayers are mentioned here. Fajr at dawn and uh, Isha, which is evening. And what is the time period for dawn? We see this in 2187. It says, you may eat and drink until the white thread of light becomes distinguishable from the dark thread of night at dawn. So dawn, or otherly known as astronomical dawn, it occurs the moment when you can distinguish the coming of the sun for sunrise from the night sky. And Isha, evening, is the opposite. This is the moment where the darkness of the sky becomes indistinguishable and you can no longer see the sun from the sunset. And if you look at an astronomical clock, you'll see that depicted as night. But it's worth mentioning that in the Quran, night starts at sunset, uh, but Isha where it doesn't become distinguishable, the light from the night, uh, that is specifically the evening, but is known as night on an astronomical clock. So that covers two of the Salat times. What about the other three? In Surah 11, verse 114, we read, You shall observe the contact per Salat at both ends of the day and during the night. The righteous works wipe out the evil works. This is a reminder for those who would take heed. So we already know nighttime what that is. What is it at two ends of the day? Because a day is considered from sunrise to sunset, the two ends of the day would correspond to the dawn prayer and the sunset prayer. So now we've covered the dawn prayer, the sunset prayer, and the night prayer. So we have two more to go. In Surah 17 verse 78, it reads, you shall observe the contact per salat when the sun declines from its highest point at noon as it moves towards sunset. So God is telling us that at this moment we're supposed to observe the Salat. At astronomical noon, when the sun reaches its highest point of the day and starts declining, then we perform our noon prayer. And obviously these times are going to vary based on where you live and the time of the year it is. But from this you can calculate exactly what time you're supposed to perform your Salat. And this brings us to the fifth time of the day that we perform the Salat. So right now we've covered four of them. We've covered the dawn contact prayer that's to be done at dawn. We covered the noon contact prayer that occurs after the sun declines from its highest point at noon. 
Then we have the sunset contact prayer and the night contact prayer. And in Surah 2 verse 238, it says, You shall consistently observe the contact prayers, especially the middle prayer, and devote yourselves totally to God. So what is this middle prayer? Because we already have four contact prayers times established, the middle prayer would be in between these four times. And that would make that the afternoon prayer. Because we have dawn, noon, then it would be afternoon, sunset, and night, giving us five contact prayer times. So this hopefully puts to rest this debate that there's only three contact prayers. God specifically is indicating that there's five contact prayer times. And this brings to another aspect, individuals adding additional contact prayers or doing their noon prayer in afternoon or their dawn at sunset or whatever. God has designated specific times, we read this in the previous verse, for us to perform the Salat. Meaning once that time window is up, there's no way of redeeming that's a lot. So if we miss our dawn contact prayer, we cannot make it up after sunrise because God is specifically saying the dawn contact prayer and must occur during dawn. And similarly, the sunset contact prayer must occur in that window of sunset. So some individuals, that's fine that they do the five, they do it at the right time, but then they add additional salat. The thing is God has designated for us five contact prayers each day. I equate this as if you go to a doctor and a doctor says, okay, this is what I want you to take for your medication. And we think that we would be better if we take more than the prescribed dose. And for that, I don't believe that's correct. I think we do specifically as God indicates, we do five contact prayers five times a day at their designated time. God has given us numerous other ways where we can worship Him. We can read Quran, we can meditate, we can glorify, we can commemorate. There's so many other ways we can commemorate and meditate and believe and draw closer to God. And I would leave these five contact prayers specifically as God has decreed in the Quran. So beyond this, there's one other facet. And this has to do with the Friday congregational prayer. And this is spelt out in Surah 62, which is entitled Jumma. Jumma means a gathering, but it also means Friday. In Surah 62, starting from verse 9 to 11, it says, O you who believe, when the congregational prayer, Salat al-Jumma, is announced on Friday, you shall hasten to the commemoration of God and drop all business. This is better for you, if you only knew. Once the prayer is completed, you may spread through the land to seek God's bounties and continue to remember God frequently that you may succeed. When some of them come across a business deal or some entertainment, they rush to it and leave you standing. Say, what God possesses is far better than the entertainment or the business. God is the best provider. So God is informing us that on Fridays we have a congregational prayer, a Salat al-Jummah. And it's interesting that the word Jumma means Friday and it also means congregation. And during this time, we get together, we drop all business and we commemorate God. We do this by means, again, that because that this is already an established practice. We know what this entails. There's two sermons that are each about 10 to 15 uh, minutes long in the language of the people. Then afterwards, we do a two-unit contact prayer and we do this during the time of the noon contact prayer on Fridays as a substitute. And again, these are practices that are already established. When God tells us to perform Salat al-Jumma, we don't have to ask, what is Salat al-Jumma? Because we already know. 
The practice is already established, and it's only for us to take out the impurities and follow exactly what God has commanded us. So God willing, let's recap some of these points. When someone tells you that we have to follow Hadith because how else do we know how to do the Salat, let them know that there is no Hadith that explains how to do the Salat. That when God told us to observe the contact prayers, it's because it was already established. And who established the contact prayers? The first person that was taught how to do the contact prayers was that of Abraham. Anyone who followed the religion of Abraham, Melata Ibrahim, was to perform the contact prayers. That's why we see numerous prophets and messengers that all lived after Abraham, that they all performed the Salat. But as of Noah and Adam who lived prior to Abraham, we do not have any verses of them indicating that they had the Salat at their time. In addition, the Salat is to be 100% devoted to God alone. We are not to mention anyone else in our Salat. We saw that this was the prayer of Abraham and Muhammad himself. To insert the name of some human being in our Salat is a gross blasphemy, but it's also historically inaccurate. Since Abraham was the first to do the Salat and Muhammad was commanded to follow the religion, the practices of Abraham, it would make no sense that Abraham would use Muhammad's name in his Salat. The Shahada from day one, from God, the angels, the knowledgeable, as stated in Surah 3 verse 18, is La ilaha illallah, that there is no other God beside God. The second we add any other entity beside this, it shows that we are not satisfied with the worship of God alone. We see that the only surah we are to mention in our Salat is that of the Fatiha. This is the only surah that is 100% a prayer from us as humans to God our Creator. Every other surah either contains the names of other than God, or it's for us, it's as ghul, as in to say. And it wouldn't make sense for us to communicate with God and tell God to say. Additionally, we see that the Salat is decreed at specific times, and those times are at dawn, at noon when the sun declines from its highest point, in the afternoon, in sunset, and then at night when it's no longer distinguishable between sunset and the night sky. These are the five times decreed for us to do our Salat. If we were to add more to it, it's as if we did the ablution and added additional steps. God let us know that the ablution that we perform prior to our Salat is distinctly four steps. To wash our face, to wash our arms to the elbows, to wipe our heads, and to wash our feet. It doesn't say wash your right arm first, then your left, wash three times, none of that. All this has been added to the practice. If we implement this, and we take the Salat as is established today by the vast majority of Muslims and we filter it through the Quran, we will get the pure Salat that was originally given to Abraham and we will eliminate these practices, these alterations that were made to the Salat and be able to perform this commandment that is so essential for us to grow and develop our souls and God willing be redeemed back into God's kingdom. God willing, before we finish this episode, I want to leave with one last example. And this comes from Surah 2. Surah 2 is entitled Al-Baqarah, or in English, the cow, or more specifically, the heifer. And this is the longest surah in the entire Quran. It's the second surah after the Fatiha. And the question is, why did God pick this name for this surah? It could have named it anything else, but it picked this one name because of the lesson of the heifer in this surah. And the importance of this lesson that is directly parallels what we talked about today. 
This is a lesson about Moses giving the children of Israel a direct commandment and their reluctance in following through and carrying out that commandment. It starts in Surah 2, verse 67. It reads, Moses said to his people, God commands you to sacrifice a heifer. They said, are you mocking us? He said, God forbid that I should behave like the ignorant ones. Here, Moses is giving the children of Israel a straightforward, simple commandment to sacrifice a heifer. And what is their response? Are you mocking us? They couldn't accept Moses' command. They were taking him as a fool. And it continues in 268. They said, call upon your Lord to show us which one. He said, he says that she is a heifer that is neither too old nor too young of an intermediate age. Now carry out what you are commanded to do. Again, Moses is telling them to do what you are commanded to do. But how do the children of Israel respond? In 269, they said, call upon your Lord to show us her color. He said, he says that she is a yellow heifer, bright colored, pleases the beholders. And you would think they have enough information. Now just carry out the command. But no, they persist. They said, call upon your Lord to show us which one. The heifers look alike to us and God willing, we will be guided. Moses responds in 271. It says, he says that she is a heifer that was never humiliated in the plowing the land or watering the crops free from any blemish. They said, now you have brought the truth. They finally sacrificed her after this lengthy reluctance. If the children of Israel simply just followed through with the commandments, it would have showed their confidence in God, His messenger, and His message. Because they had doubt in their hearts, they weren't satisfied with this command, and they were pestering Moses for these details that were not necessary. They already knew how to sacrifice a heifer. This was blatantly obvious to them. But because of their lack of faith, their lack of trust, they persisted with these questions to delay the process. And God is doing the same thing for us. Repeatedly in the Quran, God is commanding us as believers, as righteous individuals, to observe the contact per salat. And what is the response of the people? What is the contact per salat? How do we do the contact per salat? What times do we do the contact per salat? All this is already established. And it simply requires us to open our eyes and follow through with God's commands. In 2.45, it reads, You shall observe the contact per salat and give the obligatory charity zakat and bow down with those who bow down. In Surah 2, verse 110, it reads, You shall observe the contact per salat and give the obligatory charity zakat and any good you send forth on behalf of your souls, you'll find it at God. God is seer of everything you do. When God gives us a commandment, let's not make the same mistake of the children of Israel. Let's follow through with that commandment. Let's do it to the best of our ability. Let's not try to make excuses, try to find reasons not to follow through. Because the second we do that, it shows our lack of confidence in God when He tells us that the Quran is complete, it's fully detailed, it has explanations for everything. Meaning that if He gave us a commandment in the Quran to fulfill a certain action without the details, therefore, the information should already be out there on how to fulfill it. So God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.